0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the office actually ended because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host. And with me is my co host and resident office expert, Antoinette.
1: Hi, everyone.
0: Today we will be discussing season five, episode 17, Blood Drive. In this episode, some people are more thrilled about Valentine's Day than others. Jim and Pam go on a couple's lunch, and Michael tries to play Cupid. The cold open for this episode begins with a phone system salesman entering the office and talking to Pam and asking whether or not Michael is in. Pam says that Michael is actually out of the office, and the camera immediately shows Michael sitting in his office, and this is something that is... Curious to the phone system salesman. He says that every single time he has come into the office, Michael has not been there. And Pam reveals that this is not exactly a coincidence.
1: Yes, she's worried about her job. She says that these new phone systems do 95% of her jobs. They ring directly to a salesman or you can press star for accounting. And that's what she does as the receptionist. The salesman says, well, why don't I just make an appointment to come in? Which, why he did, hasn't done that before. He must like to do, like, drop-ins or something. And Pam is looking at Michael's schedule book, and it's pretty wide open, saying, oh, man, not a lot here. And he can see over her desk that there's not actually a lot of appointments on the calendar. At this point, Jim takes it upon himself to try to fix the situation. And he does so by coming up to the salesman and introducing himself as Michael Scott.
0: So Jim says that they don't really need a new phone system and is in the process of showing this guy out the door when Michael, the real Michael, comes up to the conversation and begins to introduce himself and Jim thinking quickly calls him Jimbo and Michael is just kind of like questioning what's going on but I think he gets he I think he's getting the sense like this is a joke or something like that
1: right he's thrilled to sort of just be involved in something exactly
0: and Jim says to Michael before he Michael can say anything else just does the Fonzie two thumbs and a to Michael and Michael's just like like giddy and just does it back and Pam joins in and they all just do this until it's super awkward for this guy and he's just kind of like okay I guess I'm gonna go now
1: and Michael still has no idea what was even happening he again is just thrilled at the inclusion of it and doesn't really even question it so as we get into the body of the episode it is Valentine's Day and that is fitting because we are recording around Valentine's Day Michael uh, passes by a blood drive truck as he walks into the office and he's walking in with Kevin and they see some decorations in the lobby And Michael has a voiceover saying that it's been four months since he broke up with Holly. So that gives us a bit of a timeline. So if it's Valentine's Day, they broke up in October. It still seems too late given that they were initially sort of flirting over the summer, but we'll forgive some of these timeline fudge, you know, fudging of the timelines. Michael's really struggling. He says he really misses Holly. He kind of takes a dig at Kevin, saying if Kevin's really suffering, you know, Holly was ten times hotter than Kevin's ex-fiancé, Stacy, so Michael has really got it bad.
0: Not to put a timeline on grief or anything like that, but Kevin, they... We never meet Stacy, and she only gets brought up on very rare occasions and i feel like they broke up in like season 2 or so
1: it's at least season 3 okay um and there was a if you think back to season 4 when kevin and andy negotiated for their parking spaces and kevin said it's just really nice to get a win after because after Stacy, things look bleak. So, yeah, I, I we don't know a lot about Kevin's personal life, but I wonder if maybe this was an idea that was supposed to happen in season four, and it didn't because of the writers' strike, and then they kind of just worked in Michael's breakup with Holly.
0: Yeah, could be. But, yeah, just Kevin randomly throwing out the fact that he still misses his fiance, which, sure, right. not not completely out of the realm of possibilities but being 2 years later for him to be like really still bringing it up
1: right is a little is a little odd
0: yeah and so michael and kevin walk into the office and they are in their minds assaulted by the valentine's day decorations that are all over and One of the first things they see is an arrangement of flowers on Pam's desk that she got from Jim. And Michael talks to Pam and just like, you know, this is kind of a hard day for some people in here. We don't really appreciate you like throwing it in our faces. And so he asks Pam to just keep the flowers on the floor next to her desk, essentially. When Pam puts the flowers back up on the counter of her desk Michael has a talk with her and Pam says that she can't see the flowers when they are on the floor and Jim kind of comes to Pam's defense here and that is when Michael goes over and talks with Jim and just says that the kind of loving sexy looks that they give each other make people feel kind of bad and a little lonely
1: Yeah, Michael is saying that the sexiness between them is creating a hostile environment for everyone else. And it's a very tough day. He's telling the camera that the majority of the people are single in the office and just makes it harder for everyone else. And he does say something funny, too. He says to Jim that if you and Pam insist on having your own private relationship that we can't be a part of... And Pam interjects, like, you can't be a part of our relationship, Michael. And he sort of gives her the hand. And continues on to Jim saying, then, if we can't be a part of your private relationship, then we're going to have a single hearts convention that you're not invited to, so suck it. And he tells the rest of the office that he's just invited Jim to suck it, and there will be this convention for everyone to sort of commiserate. And... I will say when you are, you know, the only single person or maybe you just got out of a relationship or you're going through a hardship, it does feel like you just see that thing everywhere. Now Michael's taking it a bit in the extreme here. He's really taking it very hard, um, I don't think, I mean. He he could have asked the party planning committee to just not decorate the office. Pam could have put the flowers, like, maybe on a different part of her desk or something, but really, she was the only person with flowers. We've talked about Valentine's Day before and how Curtis and I celebrate in the Season 2 episode about Valentine's Day, but we'll just briefly bring it up again. I will say, and I'm not trying to be glib, and I'm not trying to patronize the feelings of someone that are that would be single, but it does feel like when you are single that Valentine's Day is a really, really big deal. And that's because like you can't turn on the TV without running into like a jewelry commercial or whatever it may be geared towards Valentine's Day. You can't walk into a Walgreens without like a red and pink explosion. And in high school and college it does seem like a big deal like our high school always did like candy grams you could buy and so that can be a bummer you know in college if you're with the group or if you're the only single person you know I'm speaking from experience here it really can seem outsized but then when you're in a committed relationship in my opinion and experience with Curtis Valentine's Day is just not high on our radar we we did a nice dinner it's usually an excuse for us to just have a nice dinner out we did a nice takeout thing you know we do like very low level gifts just something someone would enjoy nothing like crazy with jewelry or chocolates or flowers it's sort of just an excuse in the middle of winter for us to just do something nice and there are at least in my opinion there are so many other days that are more important to recognize and then the just the general like let's go on a date night or let's celebrate our relationship or let me tell you how much I appreciate you is for me more important than a like act like a set date on the calendar but I've totally been where Michael is at as far as just feeling like the odd person out.
0: Yeah, I've been there too. Sometimes you just want to have a reason to celebrate that. Like you said, right. you know, it I don't think that we take Valentine's Day for granted in our relationship, but it's just one of those things where you know, like Michael says, it, it does kind of get thrown in your face that... For sure. That you aren't with somebody. And then when you are with somebody, you're just kind of like, eh. I mean, what? why is this day any different than any other day except for the fact that Hallmark is telling us that you should buy your partner a card and a nice gift and you should go out and have a nice dinner.
1: And the hard thing, too, and I'm someone that, like, winter is so hard for me to get through. The fact that Valentine's Day is mid-February, it's typically really cold. When you're single, it just sort of, it all just compounds on top of each other. With that, where you're like, oh, yeah, it would be nice to, like, watch a movie with someone. It's sort of like New Year's Eve, where it feels like you need to like have plans or have a partner or, you know, things like that. And when you're a little kid, it's kind of fun because you have like a party and you, you know, give out those pre-made uh, uh, cards and you pick one out for your crush and no one actually, you know, gets the hidden message or anything. It's, it's just, uh, uh, it's more of a fun like kids thing, I would say.
0: Before the Lonely Hearts Club party gets started, Michael goes out and does his life-saving duty of donating blood, and you can tell that Michael is just a little kind of nervous, a little agitated, and he goes into the donation trailer thing that they have set up outside the office park, and in there is already a woman who has just gotten started with her donation, And Michael and this woman kind of just do some nervous chatting with each other just to kind of distract themselves from how nervous they are to donate blood. And they really kind of hit it off in this very limited interaction. And it's one of those moments in the show where, at least for me, It has me questioning the writers' choices for why they make Michael be just some, at times, a jerk and an asshole and just very inconsiderate. Because in this moment where he is so distracted by the fact that he's about to give blood and is so nervous about this... He is very charming, and he's very affable, and he's very relatable to this woman, and she is kind of digging the vibe that, you know, he's putting out here, and they just have a very nice conversation, and Michael doesn't even realize it.
1: Right. Michael has almost split personalities at times from the writers. Like you said, it is going well. He is actually being funny and charming until he passes out from donating blood and from being so nervous and he said he didn't eat before donating. Curtis is a prolific blood donator and as is most of his family, his dad and grandparents donate often or at least his grandparents did as well. So Curtis, Michael's strategy, not a great one. No. Have you ever passed out from giving blood?
0: I have not. In fact, I've done kind of, I wouldn't say the opposite, but the first time I donated blood was in high school. They had a drive there. It was my senior year, and I went like right after lunch, so I missed part of my class that was right after lunch. And I had track practice that afternoon. Oh, wow. And – if you've ever given blood and if you've never given blood they tell you there's a list of do's and don'ts for uh, after your donation you know you're supposed to stay hydrated drink lots of liquids you are not supposed to smoke you're not supposed to drink alcohol and you are suppo- not supposed to do any strenuous exercise for like the next 24 hours ish well I had, like I said, I had track practice and we also had a workout that practice where we were doing half mile repeats and I was running them at like a 220 ish pace, 220, 230 pace.
1: Impressive.
0: And I finished it. I was, I remember my legs just being super heavy. I remember struggling, but I finished it. And there were two other guys that did had donated that day and they did not finish practice. So suck it. Those guys, I guess.
1: Curtis got me into donating blood as well. And my very first time going, I was like, I think I might feel a little woozy and they don't mess around. Not at all. When you say you feel woozy, they get you up the legs up that the chair tilts, they're checking on you. They give you juice. You know, make sure you got that you have snacks and they take it very seriously. And so, really, since then, I have done pretty well, I would say. And just a personal plug donating blood is one of the things that you can do. Like, if you're in a bit of a funk or you just need something that's a pick me up, it acts like that. You're doing something for somebody else. It's something that's a kind act and there's all kinds of posters and and materials to that effect, but it gives you a little bit of a happiness boost. And actually there's this podcast I listened to called the happiness lab where she interviewed people that have donated a kidney, which is sort of that to the absolute extreme and talk about the boost and of that altruism that they got from that act. And so if you're looking for just a little something, you're in good health, you're able to do so try to donate blood and see if it gives you a little bit of a pick-me-up.
0: Very much agree. I know I always feel pretty good after doing it. Um, And there's a lot of free stuff that's involved as well. Like, there's stickers and I know with um, the blood center that I donate at, they give you, pretty much every time you go, they give you a voucher for a $10 gift certificate to like Amazon, or I think like a gas station, or like just a, an assortment of places, which you know, it's not much, but it's something. better than nothing. And pretty much, like every other time, there, like, you can send in this code and you get a free t shirt, or you get, um, like a you know, a, a bag or a tumbler or something like that. I know that when I was in college, they had two blood drives a year, one around homecoming and then one in the spring during Greek week. And you went and you got a free t-shirt out of it. And so I had uh, a ton of those free t-shirts. And, but, but the best part about donating blood is free snacks.
1: <laughs> yes, that you can have all the free snacks you want. You can sit there as long as you need to. And if you are wanting to be a regular donor, they'll call, That they, you know, they need donations. So they'll call and remind you. They'll get you scheduled. If you're planning on doing it, sign up, get a donor ID, track your gallons. You can get sweatshirts. You can get all kinds of swag. It's, it's a good thing.
0: So back to the episode. Like Antoinette said, Michael passes out. And when he finally comes to, he turns to see if this woman is still there and she is gone. She has been replaced by Hank, the security guard. And Michael is not too thrilled about this. And he notices that this woman has left one of her gloves where she was sitting. And so he says to the attendant that the woman left her glove I will need a name in order to get this glove back to her. And the attendant, of course, says, no, we can't provide that information to you. And so Michael is kind of walking on air right now. He finally has this connection with somebody and has this item of hers that gives him A reason to seek this woman out and try to return her glove to her and continue the connection that they had. And so this kind of changes his mood about the day. He started the day out just kind of being offended by Valentine's Day. And now that he has had this connection, he goes into the Lonely Hearts Club meeting with a little bit different of an outlook. He has everyone just go around the circle and just talk about their worst breakups. And after everyone has gone, he says, we don't have to be like this. We don't have to be lonely. We should have a mixer and try and find people for all of us.
1: Support groups, I'm putting quotes under that, like what Michael was trying to do with this lonely heart convention and this like anti Valentine's Day attitude, they're a double-edged sword. He was very much encouraging everyone, like Curtis said, to talk about their worst breakup and really get the ball rolling because there was some reluctancy there amongst you know your coworkers, but it sort of brings down the mood. And so that's when Michael realizes, okay, I had this connection. If, if this woman came to the blood drive in the parking lot, like maybe she works around here, let's make all these flyers, let's change up the day and see if we can't turn our luck around. Like we're, a, this is a group of great people. I'd like to point out that somehow Stanley is in this, Uh, mix here and he's married but he doesn't really have anything else to do i guess
0: right he's probably just there for the cake
1: yes because they have treats and snacks and everything so michael decides that this mixer is going to start at 2 p.m and they put like i said they put flyers out they get the word out to the pretty much just the rest of the office park i would assume Not a ton of people come at first and then it seems like a couple of people trickle in. There's two ladies that come in together and Michael sort of sends them off. Sends one to talk with Dwight and another to talk with Kevin. Neither Kevin nor Dwight are great uh, at flirting or being you know, charming or just trying to have a conversation in general. Dwight is really intensely focused on his job and just his random hobbies and his random interests. And Kevin just gets incredibly nervous. Kevin seems to have more success than Dwight does. It doesn't go well at first, but there does seem to be a bit of a connection there because the woman, Lynn is pretty understanding, she likes talking to him. In the end, they exchange email addresses. Dwight, however, gets really stuck on the fact that the woman he is speaking with puts together catalogs for community colleges, and he's like, oh, you must use a lot of paper. And she says, yes, tons. And that is a turn on for Dwight because he's just this master salesman And he spends the rest of the afternoon, seemingly maybe hours, talking about her paper needs. Trying to sell her on paper and lock her into a contract. At the end, she just wants to get out of there. And he's really annoyed at her for wasting his time and calls her an idiot.
0: During this party, Michael is just kind of checking in on people and seeing how they're doing. Kind of continues his his matchmaker role here and he is keeping very close eye on the door every time that he hears something or people walk in he really just kind of like turns to the door and just investigates as to who is coming in and people are starting to notice this and so people are kind of wondering you know why what Michael is looking for so intently and eventually he does share that when he was giving blood he and this woman ended up talking and people do seem to be kind of taken by this story most specifically Kelly who yeah. very much like this is very much a romantic comedy type storyline and that's uh, Kelly's real life at least in her head and so she thinks that this is all very very cute and Michael really kind of eats up that validation.
1: Very much so. It's kind of unfortunate that he, that the person that he was kind of most directly telling the story to is Kelly. Like Curtis said, she eats it up and she's like, oh my God, that's so romantic. And then Michael will give another little detail. like He's like, I think our blood bag's touched. And Kelly's like, oh my God. And that is not good. That is not good. Michael does not need any more reason to not be living within reality. And that is a lot of the trouble with romantic comedies. I'm not a big romantic comedy fan. One, because I think they're kind of boring. Like, I think my favorite romantic comedy is Wedding Crashers. And that really gets more on the comedy end. Two it's just so stupid they're just stupid and it creates these really terrible unrealistic expectations mostly for women but also for men in a heteronormative sense and just how to act and unfortunately i've had several girlfriends that have gotten like taken in by a romantic comedy and i've tried to overlay that on real life or like real life dating situations and it's just like that's not how that's gonna work you just have to communicate and it's not like you know then they're like well that's not romantic I'm like okay but not having communication about whether you're on a date or not is actually causing you angst so a lot of the strategies employed by a romantic comedy don't actually translate to real life. And Kelly is like the walking example of that. And then I would say Michael is the second example of that. They both live in this like, oh my God, you'll just meet your soulmate and it'll be perfect. And then it, you'll just have a relationship. It doesn't require any work. It doesn't require any communication. You're just with the perfect person and that's all that matters.
0: Right. And, and this show is not immune to that as well. I would say basically Jim and Pam's entire storyline arc is straight from a romantic comedy. Great point. And like that's just, and I think that, you know, it's stuff like this that has such an influence on what society, i.e., women, consider.
1: Such condescension.
0: Well, it's not wrong um th- that th- is is what's considered romantic and so jim like getting this teapot and filling it with all these little sure. trinket things like that's, sh- that's that's nice and all but like that's that's not so realistic like that happens because this show the showrunners can just create that
1: right no doubt And that's where Michael is thinking that there's going to be this big shining moment of this woman walking in and realizing that Michael was the one that put this together and he's going to pull her glove out of her pocket and present it to her and it'll just be this instant fairy tale and they'll kiss and they don't even know each other's name, but then they're definitely soulmates unfortunately that doesn't happen and as time ticks by so it seems like it's maybe getting close to five o'clock some people come in late and anytime someone comes in and, and people are getting tired they're losing steam but you know someone new will come in they'll look at the person they'll look to Michael he shakes his head no and then they just ignore the person that walks in At 5 o'clock, kind of they start cleaning up. Michael says they all can go, but he's going to soldier on. Like, somehow, maybe this woman will decide to come to a party that started at 2 at, you know, 5.15. And Oscar sort of leads the charge and convinces Michael that we'll, we'll just all leave together. We'll walk out together, and we've got each other's back. And so they do. They walk out to the parking lot, and Michael concludes by saying, you know, he dated this amazing woman. They broke up four months ago. And for him, the takeaway from the day is that he picked up the glove in the first place. And he had the hope that, okay, I'm willing to get myself back out there. And sometimes, yeah, that's the hardest step is deciding that okay, I feel ready enough to put myself out in that situation or, you know, I'm dealing with grief or I have had this, like, negative experience and I'm going to take that tentative dipping of my toe into the water and take that chance.
0: Seeing as they were not invited to the Lonely Hearts party, Jim and Pam are presented with A different opportunity Phyllis asks if they would like to go out to lunch with her and Bob saying that they're gonna take all afternoon because Michael is terrified of Bob and won't say anything about it so Jim and Pam take Phyllis up on this invitation and they go have lunch and we see them just kind of chatting and talking about Bob's bowling prowess and really that's about it
1: it seems like it's kind of a bit of an upscale place for lunch
0: right and then in a different scene we see that everyone's food has arrived but phyllis and bob are not at the table they have gone off to the bathroom and so pam and jim are kind of stuck in this awkward position of do we eat or not and so they are waiting and waiting until finally they decide they are gonna go investigate.
1: Each of them goes into either the men's or the women's restroom, respectively. No one's in there. There is a handicap bathroom at the end of the hallway and there are noises coming from the bathroom. And they have deduced that Bob and Phyllis have taken this opportunity to sort of bang it out over lunch and Jim and Pam rush back to the table and they had been sort of picking at like the fries off Bob's plate or sort of picking at their own food and then they're just sitting there and and then Bob and Phyllis come back and they are very flustered you know Bob's shirt's a little untucked they're a little unkempt you know Phyllis is like sweating practically and it kind of becomes an awkward lunch. And we always knew that Bob and Phyllis had a lot of chemistry, have a lot of a very spicy relationship. Uh, but they have really just decided they couldn't wait. And this lunch was the perfect opportunity. And then we never check in with the lunch again. It was kind of just a way to get the, everyone besides Stanley, I guess, the people in a relationship in a different setting versus the singles mixer. And
0: that pretty much does it for the goings-on of this episode. So let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about the episode.
1: No real fun facts, but I'll just say a quick check-in of Andy, Angela, Dwight. Andy's not in the episode because he's on one of his non-refundable honeymoons. And NBC had created like a fake uh, Andy and Angela wedding website at the time. And then they had, after this episode aired, they posted... photos of Ed Helms like pretending to be like scuba diving or hot air ballooning on his own uh, to that fake wedding website. Angela during her you know worst breakup talks about the fact that her worst breakup was two breakups because she had two men duel over her and Oscar was like yeah we were all here Was Andy and Dwight and she said no this was years ago when I was living in Ohio and so apparently she's had two Pairs of men duel for her affection.
0: I think she was lying about that. I don't think that was yes. a real thing.
1: I think it was sort of a way to gauge Dwight a little bit. Yeah. Then when Dwight was trying to <laughs> sell paper, not really flirt, Angela looks pleased when the woman sort of was like, I've got to go. And then Dwight's really uh, annoyed at the situation. Otherwise, no real fun facts here. Curtis, do we have any firings?
0: No, I don't think we do. A uh, pretty tame episode. We don't see Daryl at all, so Daryl is... Yeah. This Daryl watch still continues. What is your dundee for this episode?
1: My dundee is the weirdest flex, which goes to Dwight. As he's giving blood, it seems like the phlebotomist is having a little bit of trouble finding his vein. And so he said, you know, he asked her if she's having trouble. And she says a little, and so then he sort of uh, adjusts and then says, how about now? And she's like, nope, that's good. Then he gives a one-on-one and says he has trained his major blood vessels to retract in, and, and also he can retract his penis into itself. Why you'd want either of those things to happen, I'm not sure. I guess both maybe preserve body heat. I don't know. What is your Dundee?
0: Mine is the lemons out of lemonade award that goes to Andy, who, despite getting dumped by Angela, is still going on all of his honeymoons because he put down non-refundable deposits on them. Who is your employee of the month?
1: I chose everyone because pretty much no one does any work the entire episode because they have the blood drive, one, but then from seemingly at least noon or one o'clock on, Michael has his Lonely Hearts convention, then the singles mixer, and Jim, Pam, and Phyllis go to lunch and seemingly, seemingly never come back. Who is your employee of the month?
0: I chose Kevin because he kind of gets out of his rut and has a nice conversation with Lynn and he, you know, as you said, it doesn't go very well to start. He is just chatting with this woman and he brings up the fact that his fiance left him and he tries to correct that by saying he left her as if like, so it makes him seem like the more desirable commodity, I guess. And then he just kind of like walks off, but he does kind of regain his composure, comes back to her later as she is getting ready to leave. And he just says, really enjoyed talking to you. Do you have an email? Can we, you know, exchange information? And she agrees. So that does it for this week's episode. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. And continue listening to us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you can in order to get our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.